0: I'm standing in my office at the USGA right now, and I've got the 1997 United States Walker Cup team bag in my office with the clubs I used at Walker Cup. And I mean, I, I actually, I must not have taken anything out of my bag. I mean, I've got a yardage book in there. I've got top flight stratas that I used to play, the glove on there, like it's, it's intact. In 1744, the first golf club with a definite proof of origin was the company of gentlemen golfers who played of Leaf now called the Honourable Company of Edinburgh Golfers who play at Muirfield. It was that year when
1: several gentlemen of honour, skillful in the ancient and healthful exercise of the golf, petitioned the Edinburgh City Council to donate a silver club for their annual competition on the Leaf Links.
0: The winner of the competition was declared captain of the golf for the year, and a silver ball with the date and the captain's name inscribed upon it was attached to the silver club. Thank you for listening to the Silver Club podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former World Amateur Number 1 Steve Scott, and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian, Colin Sheehan.
1: All right, Colin, we are back for another Silver Club podcast. How's it going? Excellent, Steve. This is my favorite time of the year, the end of the summer, that sort of transition. Warm by day, cool at night, start of the fall season. And all the golf courses in the Northeast just round into perfect, ideal condition.
2: Yeah, that's, it's it's definitely my favorite time of year as well, and and uh, yeah, through uh, you know through the mid end of October gets really really good. Uh, the golf courses get really excellent condition, and the superintendents to even take a little bit of a break. But before we get to our guest today, the senior director of player relations for the USGA, the newly appointed position, really Jason Gore, former pga tour winner corn Ferry tour winner seven times uh you know let's let's uh let's just chat about a couple things of what's
1: what's been what's been going on with you where's your your golfing
2: travels taken you recently
1: well uh two days ago we started we're in season for the for the fall just like that started classes on wednesday uh so thrilled to uh get going with the team. We're going to have a mad dash, five straight weeks, five straight tournaments, 54 holes each week, a 36, 18. It's, uh, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be intense, but we're going to, we're going to have fun. I, I love, uh, love this roster. I'm, I refuse to call this year a rebuilding year, but we're definitely going to have to pick up, uh, the slack for the wonderful seniors who graduated. And, um, and we'll see We'll see how it goes. I'm uh, I'm I'm excited by the by the opportunity that we have in front of us in the coming month, and look forward to seeing you in a few weeks down there in Winston Salem.
2: Yeah, you guys are coming down to the Old Town Club to play in the Wake Forest event. That's uh, I know you you played in it last year as well. And yeah, Old Town is is a, such a cool golf course. Got a lot of width, a lot of angles, and so yeah, I know you. The guys play pretty well there though because of the the width, they can just take driver and hit it 10 miles and, uh, and do their thing. But it's a, it's a tremendously fun golf course. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing you down here in a few weeks. But, uh, yeah, you lost a couple guys, but you, you had a few guys, uh, play in the U.S. amateur recently at Pinehurst. Uh, and you were out there
1: watching. It looked like Pinehurst number two was playing pretty difficult. What a golf course. Those greens should be in the Smithsonian. I can't get over how beautiful number two is. And by the way, it was only playing 7,500 yards. There was the 16th hole. You know that par five was converted. But generally, when the USGA converts a par five to a par four, they used to sort of at least make it around 500. They they just kept it at 528 par 4 16th hole like i'm sure there's what? some more yardage
2: that they can push back there i bet right i mean they you know they could probably get to 78 or who knows right, right.
1: <laughs> it's gone it's gone crazy i know it's a topic these days but i i was very lucky I, I had a chance to uh play the the country club in brookline massachusetts yesterday you know uh future home of the 2022 us open and and, you know, I, that course gets underrated for its quirk. And and so I, was, I always love how there's sort of a number of blind shots and heaving ground in there and rocky outcroppings. And they're going to use the short drop shot par three now included into the 18 hole mix. But my uh, terrific host pointed out all the locations where the USGA is going to come in and, and soon they're going to be adding new tees to this uh, historic course. And the, in one case, they're adding a new back tee to the 18th hole. I think they may have been adding it's either 7 or or 17 yards. I didn't know
2: there was that much room there. There's not that much room to uh backs up to exactly. the to the row they they're using every square inch, but you know they, they they've got to do it, right? Everybody hits the ball astounding distances these days and yeah, I, I think the only thing that can really stop it is really cold weather or play on the coast of California where the air is thick or uh maybe that's the only way you can kind of Slow it down. You know. You know. You, you talk about Pinehurst number two, and you know Donald Ross obviously designed that golf course, that masterpiece, really, if you will. And and uh, what was really cool this last week on uh, we we uh, the the U.S. Walker Cup team had a practice session in Pinehurst, and the Walker Cup Society we got together and we were able to connect with the new team and some of the past players were there hanging out and we got to have a share a dinner in. Where Donald Ross used to live, right off the third green at Pinehurst Number Two, they call it the Dornick Cottage. It's now owned by Pinehurst Resorts, and uh, they have some functions out of there. You can you can stay there as well, and uh, they have a cool office kind of you know uh, everything has got a Donald Ross uh, theme in that in that home. It's it's really special, very tastefully done what they did. But you know, got to hang out and chat with the world amateur number one, Cole Hammer uh the 17 year old akshay Batia, who's going to be turning pro soon uh stuart hagastat uh, the whole the whole team was there it was it was really cool to uh hang out with them kind of relive some of the the past walker cup experiences and share with the with the new team tell us what you tell us how they're feeling what's what's your takeaway I, I think, uh, you know, they were, it was kind of a, a good bonding session, really, for them. And they played, I believe, maybe four rounds that weekend. And, you know, whether it's the, the foursomes match or uh, they, they got to know each other really well. And it's kind of it's a continuation from some of the, the gatherings that they had. They had a gathering back in, in December of 2018 down in South Florida, where they got to play places like Seminole and and uh, the Bears Club and, and things like that. So... Uh, You know the the bonding of the team. The bonding of the team, I think, is important.
1: Right. I was just about to ask: Is that overrated, underrated? I mean, is that are they? That can only
2: help, right? Yeah, it's 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 really funny. Team golf. Obviously, golf is an individual sport. You see this as a coach, right? Where you have great individual players, but maybe they don't all get along. And 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 very often, because I I was fortunate enough to play on two Walker Cup teams, our '97 team. Uh, it really didn't end up to have as much success on the PGA tour and the professional ranks. The 99 team did, and we ended up losing the 99 squad. We ended up losing that match, but we won in 97. And it's hard to say who gelled better or whatever, but I think it, it's, it's one of those intangibles that, that it's hard, it's hard to quantify it, but it's just one of
1: those things that if you have it, it really helps if you have that team chemistry. I imagine so. I mean, if you really, if you're bonding with a guy and you're getting really getting along and you get to know them, you're just you're gonna when you're competing together in a foursomes match as teammates, there's just going to be that added element of of team dynamic that's just gonna can only help when when you're trailing and you're and you're counting on the other player and and you sort of have a you have a sort of you know an expectation that they're gonna that that they're playing their heart out on your behalf. And that's you know even though that should be taken for granted, it can can only be further emphasized having spent more time together. For sure. Well look, we've
2: got a great guest in Jason Gore coming up right now. It was really cool when we I saw him the other night and he came over and gave me a great big bear hug. He's a he's a monster of a guy and but just a, a, a heart of gold and You know, everybody's going to really love this two-part podcast that we have. This is part one coming up right now with Jason Gore. Take a listen. Okay, but before we get to Jason Gore, I just wanted to say that we couldn't have this podcast without the help of the Silver Club Golfing Society. Our golfing society is continuing to grow throughout the year, talking with people all the time, spreading the word about the virtues and all the strengths that we have with the Silver Club Golfing Society and some of our tournament venues upcoming. There's still room to get into the Great Lakes Challenge at Benton Harbor, Michigan, and Point of Woods 20 years ago. I was fortunate enough to win the Western Amateur there. Point of Woods is a great, great venue. Hop on, check that out. Also, we have to thank our partners in the Dunhill brand, Club Champion, Blast Motion, Global Golf Post, Torch Eyewear, links and kings and turtleson and remember for the members who play in a silver club golfing society event they're eligible to win a trip for two to the 2020 dunhill links championship thanks to our good friends at dunhill for providing us with such an amazing trip for our members if you want to play some of the country's best courses and hit shots that matter then the Silver Club Golfing Society is something you need to check out. Remember, you can see us on social media at Silver Club Golf on Instagram and Twitter. And we're on Facebook, too. And our website is SilverClubGolfingSociety.com. All right, now let's get to part one with Jason Gore from the USGA. Okay, to all of our Silver Club podcast listeners, it's my distinct honor to have maybe the most likable person in all of golf. He's won 12 professional tournaments around the world once on the PGA Tour, seven times on what is now known as the Corn Fairy Tour. Back in March, he was named as the Senior Director of Player Relations for the USGA. And he's an all-around great guy. I'd like to welcome Jason Gore to the Silver Club Podcast.
0: Thank you very much. And a, and a Walker Cup team member of, of, with you. Yes,
2: well, absolutely. Travel we're going Yeah, we're going we're gonna to chat about that a little bit. And, um, you know, just kind of going... Going back in time a little bit and, you know, maybe more than a few years, you kind of, you know, kind of your upbringing in golf in L.A. And you grew up playing against Tiger Woods. What sort of motivation, I mean, even at that young of an age, was it to play against such a, you know, a a great player? And we knew that he was going to be great. Maybe (laughs) you never quite can predict, but but how was it, uh, you know, growing up and playing, you know, against Tiger? And I'm sure you played against a lot of other guys who end up making it on the tour as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was awesome. I mean, just being around him, you just really wanted to be better and playing against him and seeing how good he was at such a young age. It was, it was pretty incredible. I mean, he, you just always wondered if he was going to burn out. I mean, you know, he had, he was playing a lot and, you know, being scrutinized by, you know, not scrutinized, scrutinized is a hard word, but groomed by his parents. And they yeah, was were always under the a
2: microscope mi- for sure.
0: A, always under the microscope. And, You know, I mean, they were very involved in his golf and that was great. And you just kind of wondered at that point, you're like, would he ever burn out? And (laughs) obviously he hasn't. I mean, his love for the game is is pretty apparent.
2: How old were you when you kind of first started teeing it up with him? I mean, you grew up in Van Nuys, California. He not too far away in Cyprus, you know, LA suburbs. Uh, How how old were you? I was 13 because I didn't start playing
0: until I was 11 or 12. And and I never really, I wasn't really allowed to play in tournaments until I, will, you know, so I couldn't embarrass myself and I, I still did, but <laughs> I, it was, uh, I tried to, you know, learn a little bit more about the game, especially about the etiquette and what to do and what not to do and stuff like that before um, I ever went out and played in a tournament. That was pretty much entailed
2: in my upbringing with my parents. Well, I, that's, that's super stuff. And I, uh, yeah, I think golf is all about, uh, you know, we, we embarrass ourselves from time to time out there and uh, that's kind of the the beauty of golf. And uh, and the, and the challenge that, that brings us back and we hit the great shot and that's very neat. So then you moved on, you played great in the amateur ranks and you, you played at Pepperdine. I remember back at Conway Farms, that must've been your senior year in 97. I was a sophomore at University of Florida and we were in the same field there at the NCAA championship. You were part of the NCAA championship team at, uh, at Pepperdine and you nearly won the individual title as well. Um. You proved yourself kind of at an early age that you could you could make something of this game.
0: Yeah, I, I just I never really gave myself a backdrop. I mean, I, I graduated from college, but I started off at the University of Arizona my first two years and and transferred out. I just I was just a homesick, immature kid and and went to Pepperdine and we just we had a bunch of I'll, I'll say it here now, but like when I left Arizona, there was Rick LaRose called us jason and four guys named ralph (laughs) so i i I obviously knew who they were and you know he knew me because i would have been a ralph too unless i didn't play on his team but um you know so we just had we had five guys on the team that you know if you take a line from from uh goodwill hunting we would have taken a baseball bat to anybody else's head for each other and um (laughs) we just loved each other and it was a great team. We had great chemistry and, you know, we all lived together and it was was great. And we just, we all, we won that national championship for each other, not for ourselves. And it was, uh, it was, we just had a great chemistry and a great team.
2: That's, that's awesome. And then that, that great play puts you on the radar. Well, you're probably on the radar a little sooner than that, but on the radar for the U.S. Walker Cup team, and you were you were named to that team, and uh, we were we were teammates on that on that great championship team at in uh, nineteen ninety seven at Quaker Ridge. Uh, how much confidence really did it give you to be on that team, and then as you were really a impending professional career right there?
0: Well, first off, I wasn't really on the radar. <laughs> I mean, that was kind of a. I I just I kind of put my nose down and just was like I want to make this team and and you know I ended up playing really really well that summer and was kind of a last minute pick but just being on that team and being around you guys who are all just so accomplished and great players and even better people and you know it just was that was really the the solidifying of like all right I want to do this because this is what it's all about I want to be a part of this and and, you know, it wasn't really till being around you guys and being on that team was really when I decided I wanted to be a professional golfer. I just kind of never, I never gave myself any other options. So right after that, I turned pro.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. And and at that Walker Cup, I mean, it was something special. I mean, you put yourself on the radar really for, you were a prodigious bomber of the ball. We, uh, you were, you were put out first. Talk, talk really quickly about the, uh, the story on the very first tee, trying to tee the ball up at, at the Walker Cup, your very first shot representing the United States.
0: Well, so as you well know, there, there was no range there. We basically hit balls down the 17th fairway. And, and um, I'm over hitting putts in the morning, and John Harris comes up to me, who was going to be my partner that day. And John was 45, I believe, which is so funny because it seemed like he was – three years older than dirt and i turned 45 <laughs> you know this year you know yeah. I, mean, well, I joke like you know i turned into the people we used to make fun of but yeah anyway <laughs> um so he comes up to me he goes hey are, are you nervous And i'm like no not at all i'm ready let's go let's go and so comes up and asks me the same question on the range again he goes are you sure you're not nervous and i go no man i'm fine so we get up to the first tee and he was supposed to play first and um you know, we had the game plan already. Said he was going to play. You know, tee off against Gary Wolstenholm, who, who was a you know great longtime amateur player from GB and I. That, you know, that wasn't let's just say not the longest hitter in the game. And um, <laughs> John just looked. Uh, you know, I'm probably blowing up the story, but he just looked terrible. And I'm like, John, I'll, I'll I'll hit, I'll go. You know, it's par five. I'll just I'll just tee off these holes. We're fine. Let's just go. <laughs> So we get up there. You just kind of look like you look like Ty, Ty Webb and Caddyshack, like you know, like he's all freaked out. But um, so I get up on the first tee, and they they announce now representing the United States of America, Jason Gore. And I was shaking so bad I couldn't get the ball on the tee. And I just hurried up and kind of like took a deep breath and just caught it in between, you know, my you know muscle twitches, and just smashed it off the first tee and i think i outdrove drove gary i think i said 172 yards that might have been that might have been a little bit of a you know in the moment storytelling but it was at least by 70 or 80 yards and and uh you know we ended up losing like the first three holes or first two out of three holes or something like that but we were down early and ended up walking off like i think a
2: 5 and 4 win yeah that was that was pretty cool that the first opening session i'll never forget i actually sat so i watched it all and uh yeah, we won. We were four, four to zero, uh, right after the morning session, and we uh, we didn't really let up the, the whole way. And it was yeah, the, the whole camaraderie of the event, and I mean that's really the special thing about golf, and kind of that's big reason why you know me being the founder of the Silver Club Golfing Society and and creating the you know a camaraderie based competition group like we have, it's uh it's it really revolves around moments like that. And do you remember the song? That we that we played in the team van on the way to the golf course, of course, stroking by Clarence Carter and watching Captain dance up and down the aisle of the,
0: of the bus we were on. Hey, how can you forget that?
1: <laughs>
2: what a song! Unbelievable. It was <laughs> unbelievable. That was that was probably that was the most fun we've had I've ever had on and off a golf course in my entire life and um, yeah it was pretty cool now I mean you know fast forwarding you know quickly on Walker Cup topics till today I mean we we saw each other the other day at the Walker Cup Society uh, gathering and we got to hang out with the the 2019 squad and you know the, the great players like world number one Cole Hammer and. You know the 17-year-old phenom Akshay Bhatia, who's going to turn professional shortly, and uh, yeah, pretty pretty cool to uh, you know connect the old and the new and share some stories about that, wasn't
0: it? Yeah, it was awesome. It's a great thing that that Robbie Zausnick has put together and trying to get all the the past Walker Cuppers together, you know, as much as possible. And you know, it's 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 a special club. It just is. I mean, granted, we're we're in it, but. You know, it's just, it's cool. Anytime you get a chance to represent your country and, and be involved in such a great thing like that, it's, it's, it's just something that goes with you. I mean, I'm, I'm standing in my office at the USGA right now, and I've got the 1997 United States Walker Cup team bag in my office with the clubs I used at Walker Cup. And I mean, you'll love this, Steve. I, I actually, I must not have taken anything out of my bag. I mean, I've got a yardage book in there. I've got, top flight stratas that i used to play wow. the glove on there like it's it's intact it's it's crazy like i looked through it and i got found my old walker cup medal you know like our contestant badge and yeah it was kind of like a flashback in time i kind of
2: yeah, it's really cool yeah you kept that moment kind of frozen in time a little bit of a, of a time vault there that's uh that's that's very cool well, yeah it's certainly you you remember that that great uh That great time we had, and you certainly turned pro right after that. But, you know, we talk about being really a fraternity in the Walker Cup, and you're part of another distinguished group, the 59 or better club. Uh, You know, the World Professional Golf, 25 rounds of 59 or better have been shot, and you were one of them. Talk about uh, just a, a little bit about that. That was in the 2005 Cox Classic back on the nationwide tour, now known as the Corn Fairy Tour. Uh, talk about that day and that that little fraternity that you're you're a part of it's not so little anymore actually but yeah no it's kind of getting pretty
0: good these guys are good apparently um yeah so i i woke up on thursday morning and had pink eye right so (laughs) i had that's how i started wearing sunglasses on the golf course i kind of put it on there and i i basically was playing with one eye and i don't know if you ever tried to you know blindfold one
2: eye and try to play it was brutal but I, I won my first pro tournament putting with my eyes closed so yeah i know what you're talking about <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> well then never mind <laughs> you just ruined a darn good story but anyway um yeah so i shoot 71 the first round and my coach was there who happened to be like a high school buddy that just knew my golf swing and and we're there like in the afternoon the next day and i'm i was hitting it so bad i got my eye had started to get a little better and and I'm hitting it so bad. I, I just won the two previous starts, and I said, "Dude, why don't you just get away from me?" Because he's trying to help, and he, you know, at that point, I'm just like angry, and you just, you know, you put so much pressure on yourself. I'm like, "Dude, just just go to the clubhouse. I'm just going to miss this cut, and we'll go, we'll go win next week." So just just <laughs> leave 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 me alone, right? Yeah. Walked to the rain, had the worst warm-up session I think I've ever had. I think I, I don't even know where the ground was. Chunking and skull, it's just every kind of nightmare you have, right? So I get up and I shoot 31 on the back, which I teed off the back first. And I'm like, all right, well, whatever. You know, I'm just trying to get back into, you know, trying to either make the cut or somehow get in contention because, you know, they, you know how it is. So then I bogey 10, right? Oh, you made a bogey. And I made a bogey on 10. <laughs> I hit it right under a tree and I had to chip out and, like, lipped out for par, yada, yada. And then I go birdie, par, birdie, birdie, eagle, birdie, birdie, eagle to finish out. (laughs) So I played my last eight holes in like 24 shots. And it just all of a sudden it was, wow, that just added up. And, you know, I'm standing on the ninth tee and I'm playing with Vance Deasy and Ben Bates, who are two of the greatest guys you'll ever meet. Yeah. And there was a wait on nine because nine was a drivable par four. And I walk up to them. I just birdied eight. I hit it to about two feet and made birdie and walk over to them. They're kind of standing over there talking. And I walked over to them just because we had a 15, 20-minute wait. And as I walked over, both of them just separated and started walking the other direction.
2: (laughs) Because they knew knew what you were on the verge of.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I walked back over to my caddy and I said, I'm throwing a no-hitter right now, right? I said, I'm throwing a no-hitter right and he looks at me and he just reaches down grabs the water out of the bag and walks over to the cooler and starts filling it up I'm like well I guess I'm on my own right now (laughs) so I walked kind of back over and just kind of stood there for a while just you know trying to just be like all right just try to get back into this golf tournament trying to throw 59 out of my head at all and I hit this big high cut about 20 feet from the hole and bashed it and broke the back of the hole and it went in and that was it and then everybody goes did you know you were gonna? Sh- you know, did you know that pub was for fifty nine? And I lied and said no. I had no idea. Of course I knew. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, everybody does. Anybody who ever says anything like that's lying.
2: Yeah, no, you, you, know? you absolutely. Yeah, you're kind of like, we, yeah, especially when you get a fifteen or twenty minute wait on the tee. You're like, you know, you're adding it up. You're you're using your fingers. Okay, okay, yeah. I'm. Uh, that's where I'm oh, at. Gosh, no, yeah, no, you're going, Oh gosh. Now on on those same lines though, it, you you did this back in two thousand five, really before. It became more of a, a normal thing to do on tour now. But now of the, of the 25, 59 or better have been shot, 13 of them have occurred in just the last six years. What, what's your thought? Has golf gotten easier? Well, golf's never
0: easier. I think guys have just gotten better. Players have just gotten better. Um, you know, Annika shooting it, I mean, she was the best of the best. And I, I think, you know, I think it's just so much more dialed in down to equipment, down to fitness, down to eating, down to, you know, sleeping habits, whatever. I think players have just gotten better. I, I hate to say it because you know, I want to be old school and be like, yeah, you know, they weren't as good as in our time, but you know, um, they're just better athletes. I think Tiger Woods made golf cool for the premier athletes. Cause you know, if you look back and, you know, here we go, we're dating ourselves again. Uh, if you look back in our time, like, When's the last time you saw a six foot four, 220 pound or, you know, whatever the size Dustin Johnson is yep. m- mega athlete playing golf.
2: Correct. Correct. You yeah. didn't,
0: you didn't. And now you, now I'm looking at like all these kids that, you know, that are that just got their tour card coming off web and they're six, three, six, four, six, two, you know, six, five. Like I'm looking, at them going, these guys are just mega athletes.
2: Yeah. There, there's no question about that. And, You know, I mean, yeah, the distance thing in golf, really, you know, I talked about you being way ahead of the curve. I mean, when you came out on the, on, on the, well, the, I guess it was maybe the web.com tour at the time, now the Corn Ferry tour, you were, you averaged 293.6 yards and you were fourth in driving distance. Now to be fourth in driving distance out there, you'd have to hit it 321. So, uh, it's, it's, yeah, there are, you know, of the Cameron champs of the world, uh, yeah, there are, there's 25 or 30 of Cameron champs just waiting to get on their spot on the PGA tour. And, and uh, yeah, it's pretty much driver wedge and, you know, they, they pretty much don't need, uh, don't need any other clubs in between that, but um, you know, kind of going back really, it, you know, kind of, we talked about that, that 2005 year that the summer of 2005 for you really was the breakout year for you. Um, you know, give our listeners some of the, the cliff notes of that year and, Really explain why that year was so special for you and and your development and, and, you know, your notoriety really as a professional. Well, I can
0: sum it up in three words. Well, three words and two sentences. I putted great. I made everything.
1: <laughs> everything. <laughs> That's really
0: everything. I mean, it just looked like it was a peach basket.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it
0: just looked like you're, you know, but... I don't know. I just, I had the confidence and, you know, there's, there's times in the game where you can, you can attest to this, where you're playing so well and you go out and shoot 68 and you're like, gosh, I played terrible today. And you see somebody shoot 74 and you're like, how do you, this guy shoot 74? This place is easy. I played terrible and shot 68. There's there's times of your career where you go out and you shoot 72 and you're like, dude, I played awesome. How the heck did this guy shoot 64? <laughs> you know, it's just a matter of perception. It's, it's, yeah. You know, it's what happens, what you do. You know, sometimes, you know, when you're playing well, you never seem to miss it in a, in a poor spot. You're always kind of like miss it in the easy chips, you know, easy places to miss it. And, you know, and you don't even realize it. It just kind of happens. You know, you're never short sighted. You're always, you always get the good lie in the bunker because that's all you see. You know if you're playing if you're playing poorly you're like every lie is terrible <laughs>
2: every lie sits down you're always getting yeah, you know, the you worst know, lies you probably, in the rough yeah of course yeah you
0: probably got the same lie when you were playing great you just didn't notice it you know you just didn't realize you're like oh well i'm just you know you're gonna go out and see you know like byron nelson said like let's go see how many
2: birdies we can make today and the other way it's like don't screw up yeah, yeah for sure yeah you're always a pretty positive guy and what what really stands out to me in that year was and, and, and the thing that, you know, can sometimes get lost in your three web tour wins and then your PGA tour victory later that year. Before that, that was, that was the, you know, the, the, the ups and downs at the U.S. Open at Pinehurst that year. You, you, you closed poorly playing in the final group. And, you know, for a lot of people, that would have totally devastated them. But for you, it, it didn't. How, how did that not just totally ruin your confidence and your ability to get the job done? Well, there's,
0: you know, it kind of happened to me in '97 too at, at NCAAs, and you know, I doubled the last hole to lose individual by a shot. But at that point, I found out our team had a seven-shot lead, and the first thing that came to my mind was, well, we're not going to. I'm not going to make an 11, so we're going to win <laughs> team championship. I'm not kidding. That's the first thought that came through my head, but, you know, and then I used that as a catapult, you know, once I kind of sat back and thought like, oh my gosh, I just made double to lose NCAA individuals. And, you know, I used that as like a motivation is to, to make the Walker cup team. And, and, you know, I kind of knew that that put me somewhere, you know, in the sights, maybe not on the radar, but, you know, on the, on the screen somewhere. And I just used it as motivation because I, I, I looked at it and I said, all right, well, you failed miserably, but, no matter what I ever will see again, I will never see the worst. I'd seen the worst, you know, I wasn't a really super accomplished player, you know, my dad died the day I turned pro. And I kind of carried that with me as like a crutch and, you know, just like a band aid for, you know, as an excuse. And, and, you know, it's like, well, even if I'm in the final round of the, even if I'm in the final group of the final round of the U S open, guess, guess what? i had been there. I'd seen it. And, you know getting in the final group of a uh, nationwide tour event or now a corn ferry tour event then it's nothing even a pga tour event it's nothing i'd seen way worse than this i was ready i was prepared i know how to i know how to handle it now i know what i did wrong and it just kind of it came into that and you know it's like you know as well as any of you, if you go to a tournament and go they you know you show up and go gosh steve scott's here i got no chance
2: <laughs> they're not saying yeah. that now, but. <laughs> but, 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 but
0: they did. I know they do, you know, they, the same thing. It's like, when you walk up there and they may not be saying it, but if you think they're saying it, it's a good thing. You know, you can walk up and go, Oh my gosh, that's the guy that just was in the final group of the U S open. You know, he's playing here, you know, it's like, Oh my gosh, this is going to be brutal. And I, they weren't saying that, but I, I thought they were saying that. And I thought no matter what, who was going to win that event, no matter how I played, the winner had to go through me. And that's just a great place to be in, you know. It's like you just, you know, you just walk through, and
2: you just think you're a bad dude. You you turn you turn maybe the the biggest negative into a, a complete positive. You went on, you got the battlefield promotion that year, and then went on and and won your first PGA Tour event. And and it's it's kind of ironic that and I haven't brought this number up yet, but the number eighty four, and that number, <laughs> the irony of that number for you. Being that it was your final round score in that U.S. Open at Pinehurst, and then your first PGA Tour victory happened to come at the 84 Lumber Classic. What a coincidence!
0: Go figure, right? And and then here's a, here's another one for you. So I made a commitment to go to Boise because they gave me my first sponsor's exemption when it was I was supposed to play there when my dad passed away. I you know that was on the on the way there, and. I get off I get off the airplane after I won the eighty four Lumber Classic, and the, the highway you get on is the I 184 <laughs> wow. And I was just like you know, I was like, okay, like here we go. Like if that's not you know a smack of irony in your face.
2: That's that's um that's amazing. I and, and you know, you, you bring that up and that was a good point. That was actually my next my next topic was You know, for, for all of our, our Silver Club podcast listeners who haven't heard of Jason Gore before, well, first of all, you're probably living in a cave. But second of all, you, you, this is that story right there is really all you need to know about you and your persona and your, your, your sincerity really is that you won that 84 lumber classic in Pennsylvania on the PGA tour. And then to fulfill that sponsor exemption, you flew to Boise the following day and and really probably never been done in the history of golf and never will be done somebody winning on the pga tour and then playing on the the lower tour the next week that just it shows a lot about your character right there well thank you it was we actually had to fight to do that like i um
0: you know that that tournament in that town means a lot to me i ended up you know winning it in oh two and they've been so great to me and I made a commitment and I, you know, they gave me every opportunity to back out. And I said, no, you know, this is this is what you're supposed to do. And I went and I went and played and I certainly didn't want to take anybody's you know, livelihood out of there. I kind of went with the full purpose of missing the cut. And, you know, I think I was a couple under and my caddy goes like I missed a birdie putt. And I was like, gosh, darn it, that thing went the other way. And my caddy goes, hey, be careful, you might make this cut. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> just kind of, and I just kind of like backed out. I'm like, I'm going to fulfill my commitment, but I'm not going to screw anybody's year up. Yeah. So, I mean, you can say I kind of screwed somebody's year up by taking a spot. But, I mean, I, I just certainly didn't want to screw anybody's top 20 chances, you know, screw up anybody's chances at a top 20, finish, take any, you know, that right. money out of their pocket so i was just kind of like all right i'm gonna go here and play thursday friday and i'm gonna back out and so but it was they're just everybody up there means the world to me and they've been so good to me over the years
2: all right we're just gonna stop right there for part one part two will be coming soon with jason gore what a guy what a heart of gold great stories he's just a he's a super guy and he's doing a lot for the usj we're gonna hear that on the other side in part two, a little bit more deep dive into where his role is going with the USGA. Thanks for listening to the silver club podcast
1: and we'll see you real soon.